This is the Christian Heritage London podcast from London. Well, it's a great privilege for me to be sitting here with none other than Randy Newman. How are you, sir? Doing great. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much. And where are you based, Randy? Uh, my wife and I live in uh, northern Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C., in the U.S. I'm uh, a teacher with the C.S. Lewis Institute, which has our main headquarters in the Washington, D.C. area. Do you know the story of the Duke of Westminster? No. The American embassy in London was in Grosvenor Square, and he would never sell the land to the American. And so the, the, the Duke of Westminster was always, uh, he was, no, I'm never going to sell it. And the Americans were always saying, can we please, please buy the land off you? And one day an ambassador said to him, your grace, would you ever consider exchanging the land? Would you consider exchanging the land for a property in the United States? And uh, the Duke of Westminster said, well, as it happens, I do have my eye on a, on a plot of land. And the ambassador says, name it. And he said, it's called Virginia. <laughs> well, okay. I don't even know the history of my own home. Yeah. Well, So he, uh, uh, the so. deal was never done. So oh, that, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I don't know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I don't know that history. So you are the director of the C.S. Lewis No, I'm a teacher for them. I think the, the title they gave me is a Senior Teaching Fellow. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that sound like C.S. Lewis? <laughs> it does. Uh, so I do a whole lot of teaching. And, and, and our institute is much more about discipleship than it is about Lewis. Mm-hmm. So we have a whole discipleship program, and I provide some teaching and some writing for them. It's, it's a wonderful ministry. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we're really helping to for people to deepen their faith. That the tie to C.S. Lewis is uh, we Lewis thought deeply and Christianly about everything, mm. and so that's what we want to do. We want to help people to think deeply and Christianly and biblically about their calling in life, their job, their family, everything. So mm. it's a discipleship ministry. One of, the irony is, is similar to what we were saying earlier about working with Christian Heritage London here. We're about as interested in the people we talk about on the walks as they were. Hmm, and similarly right. with Lewis, you get the impression he was not so much interested in Lewis. <laughs> he was not, no. And I think he'd be, he'd be disturbed that uh, we've made <laughs> fan clubs. So we, we go out of our way to say we're not trying to promote fans of C.S. Lewis. We're right. trying to develop disciples who think and live their their faith out as deeply and as thoroughly as he did. Mm. So. Now, the, the thing when you say deep and thorough, the approach that you have brought in your work, in your, especially in the great book, Questioning Evangelism, mm. is there's a deepness and there's a thoroughness, which I would associate with the word grace. There is ah. a graciousness in oh, your approach. Thank you. That's encouraging. Long-term listeners to this podcast will not be surprised to hear me say the next story. I once asked Tim Keller, I said, how did you grow that church from your family to a huge thing? Hmm. And uh, I said, without just kind of coming across as a salesman. And he said, uh, he said the, uh, the most important thing is listening. He said, mm. he said when, you can f- when you can isolate your friend's problem mm. with Christianity Good. better than they can, he said, that's a key moment. Yes. And that yes. I found that was life-changing to me. It mm. meant instead of feeling obliged to just throw the gospel at someone from a distance, I could get in there, hear them. And then, and this is this is exactly what you have brought out. And uh, oh, your, your great teaching has been to to listen to a guy. Mm. So now, so so we're getting in it deep. You're talking about getting to know people. You're hearing them and teasing them out. 
Yeah. Well, Questioning Evangelism, I, that, that the first book that I wrote, it grew out of a whole lot of frustration and failure in evangelism. My training in evangelism was you do all the talking and you just hope the non-Christian just listens and doesn't say anything. And that just didn't work. And and I was always <laughs> on uh, on college campuses. I was with Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, for many years. But I was always on these big uh, East Coast, big city campuses where the standard Campus Crusade approach just didn't work. So it was a lot of failure. And so I just started experimenting with, well, let me just ask a lot more questions rather than doing all the talking. Let me get them doing the talking. Let me make it more of a back and forth dialogue. And this is almost embarrassing to admit. Well, you know, then I started, you know, studying and looking for this in scripture. That's how Jesus talked to people. Absolutely. He answered questions with questions. He asked questions. He he said things that were provocative and almost confusing. He he would say things that were confusing so people say, "Wait, wait, wait, wait a minute. What did you mean by that?" I just recently heard a sermon about that amazing story of the four friends who lower their paralyzed quadriplegic friend through a ceiling, comes down, and the first thing Jesus says to them is, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) And I'm sure everybody in the room was, that's not why he's here. That's not why we went through the trouble of climbing up on the roof and digging a hallway. What? What are you talking about? Well, so it's these provocative things or questions to draw people out, to to help them realize what they believe or don't believe, and to help them see what they're wondering about. So uh, all that, uh, it's not like we saw mammoth revival or anything, but we just started seeing much, much better conversations Mm. and more people coming to faith and more people coming to faith with with a really deep conviction and understanding that was far better than when we did all the talking. Outstanding. J.H. Bavink, he wrote a book called An Introduction to the Science of Missions. He says, when I'm talking to a Muslim, I'm not talking to Islam. I'm talking to that Muslim. Oh, well said. Right, right. And I think that's that when you're actually talking to a person, say, what is your actual problem with Christianity? Mm-hmm. You might find they say something, oh, well, I, I didn't have to have read the whole of Schaefer to be able to help you because I know what's going on with you. I had that. I had yes, that same thought myself. That's and right. you, you find, hang on, this is a person talking to a person. Yes. And it's all about Jesus. And you know, uh, in quite a few situations, people will say something, and as soon as they say it, they go, wait, 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 wait a minute. I, I, I don't really believe that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so what do you believe? And it may, it may turn out that they have less obstacles than they thought. Or they may have a whole different question than what they started with. They may say, well, you know, the reason I'm not a Christian is there's so much evil and suffering in the world. Oh, well, there is a lot of evil and suffering in the world. Have you had some some evil and mm-hmm. suffering in your mm-hmm. own life? And then that leads to a good conversation. And it may turn out that, well, that that was the presenting problem, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that. But there were other issues that were actually more important. But again, it's... Things happen in a dialogue and a conversation that don't happen in a presentation. Hmm. Now, I want to quickly say, that's not to say that sermons are bad. Sermons are great. Hmm. Sermons are absolutely powerful, and they're they're their own powerful force that God has raised up for Amen. advancing his kingdom. Yes. But it's not the only yeah. method he yeah, uses. That's right. 
Yeah, he's the people who are equipped to go and do the works of service. And when you talk about thorough, well, what's the most thorough thing you have in your life? Very likely is your relationships. And that's mm-hmm. the way you've, you've heard someone over years and they know what to expect from you over years. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. Yes. Because that's yes. how the kingdom of God seems to have come. Jesus talks about yeast and flour and so on. Right, right. So that's, I, I love that. Because when you're talking about thorough, <laughs> you might think thorough might be uh, learning a lot of uh, times tables or equations or something. You're talking about thorough. It's almost like you're talking about working grace into something. Yes, and and seeing the implications of grace and the gospel all over the place. On one level, the gospel can be presented simply and concisely. You could say it in a sentence. You could say it in three or four sentences. But but then you could also talk about it forever. Yes. We will, as a matter of fact. So it's it's and and it's deep in that it affects us at the very deepest part of who we are. It it penetrates to the worst sin and transforms us there. And it it affects our jobs, our families, everything. So so that's what I have in mind when I say about thorough. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to think deeply about the gospel and about who God is because it does impact and transform everything. Yes. Yeah, that's wonderful. And it, yeah, it's when you've got around it. It's funny, I was talking about this very thing yesterday in the sermon. I was saying, if you have peace with God, well, what would that change? If a person had peace with God, of course, it would change their approach to charities and uh, to politics and to... Well, what does, what does, what does God affect? Everything! It would change everything! Right, right. <laughs> and if you kind of put it into a little thing, that's why you've got to keep... It's funny, mm-hmm. I had this... Inter- I don't like to do this, and I've learned not to now, but I had a kind of... I got in a silly debate online back when we were all a bit more naive about these things. And someone was saying, well, what do you think the big problem is? And I said, well, it's sin. Hmm. And the guy said, oh, just sin? And I kind of go, if you're calling it just sin, you, ne- <laughs> you never saw it. You never got it. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. So you So how was it that you came to understand the gospel ah, yourself, Randy? Yes. Well, I should start with that I I, I grew up in uh, suburbs of New York City in a Jewish family and my father fought in World War II and my parents were of the Jewish generation that first saw and learned of the Holocaust. And so they raised their sons to make sure that they knew what it meant to be Jewish. And to to never again would something as horrible as the Holocaust would, would happen. So there was a very strong emphasis in the Jewish community in New York, which was one of the biggest or the biggest Jewish community in the world, of we want people to know what Judaism is and that it's not all those other things. It's especially not Christianity. And the one thing Jewish people do agree on is we don't believe in Jesus. Um, my my parents were not particularly observant, but I started taking Judaism more seriously than my family. I had my bar mitzvah when I was 13, and I continued to meet with our rabbi for further religious instruction. And it just didn't seem to be doing anything. I, I just felt like God was distant and alien, and I was not connecting with him. So when I was 16, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar, I said, okay, I'm going to do everything you're supposed to do on Yom Kippur. There's all these rules about Yom Kippur. You don't eat. uh, You don't drive in a car. 
you go to synagogue all day long. You pray all these prayers of confession. You confess every sin you could possibly think of. And as I was walking home, I thought it didn't work. I, I don't know. God doesn't seem any closer. And um, I remember walking home, and I was dressed in a suit, and I was wearing dress shoes. And I remembered at that point, when I'm looking down at my shoes, that in religious instruction, we learned on Yom Kippur, you're not supposed to wear leather shoes. This is not in the Bible, by the way. (laughs) Rabbinic tradition was you don't wear leather shoes. It's too much like work or something. And I thought, oh, that's why it didn't work. I wore the wrong shoes. And then I thought, that's the stupidest thing in the world. you got to be kidding me, really? This is how you get to know God? you got to remember this rule, this rule, this rule, wear the right shoes. So I, I don't think I prayed, but it had the effect of a prayer. I, I must have felt something like, God, there's got to be some other way. Well, I now look back, and I think God started answering that prayer when a friend invited me to his church youth group. And he said I should come because it was fun and the girls were cute. And that's why I went, and he was right. Um, But I also heard the gospel there. They preached the gospel there, and they lived the gospel because people talked about God like they knew him in a personal way, and they prayed about everything. They prayed in English. (laughs) They made up spontaneous prayers. And I thought, these people have got something that I think I didn't get in my Jewish observances uh, I'll condense the story, but they gave me a New Testament to read, and they told me I should read this book by some British guy named C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. I didn't read either. I went off to college. I thought life was fun and crazy and absurd and meaningless, and I got drunk a lot, and I thought life was pointless and meaningless until this friend of mine died, and I remember sitting at his funeral thinking, okay, i got to get some answers. Hmm. And wouldn't you know it um, – well, you wouldn't know it, but I mean, I'm amazed. I, I brought that pocket New Testament with me back to college. I went away to college. I brought it with me, even though I had never read it. Mm. And after this friend's funeral, I took it out and dusted it off and started reading the Gospel of Matthew. Mm. And I went to the university library and took out Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Wow. And I read both of those uh, in with, with the door closed to my dorm room. I didn't want anybody to see yeah. me reading them. And But together, God used that to convince me through Matthew's gospel, Jesus really was the Messiah, and he's the one I was looking for. And Lewis convinced me intellectually that this held together and made sense. Mm. And so sitting at my desk at my dormitory room in my sophomore year, I said, thank you, God, that life is not pointless and meaningless, and that I can know you and I can have my sins forgiven and I don't have to wear the right shoes. Mm. Wow. Spring of my second year. Wow. In the Trinity term. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) So Lewis is right in there at the beginning. Yes. Oh, yeah. Lewis did two things for me. He he removed the belief that I had that Jesus was just a good teacher. Mm. So there's that famous statement by Lewis who says, a man who said the kind of things that Jesus said about himself would not be a good teacher. He'd be a lunatic on the level of a person who calls himself a poached egg. But the other argument for Lewis that was so – I think this was really the point where it went just from intellectual, oh, Jesus is the Messiah, he's God, to, oh, I need him. It was was Lewis's chapter on hope that we all have these disappointments – uh, whether it's a, a spouse or a job or a vacation. For for me, it was music. I was a music major. And I went to the Philadelphia Academy of Music every Saturday night to listen to concerts. 
And I kept thinking, someday I'm going to hear the piece of music that's going to transform me. And it never came. <laughs> I mean, the, the music was beautiful. It was wonderful. And I, uh, but, but the pieces of music always ended and the concert ended. Mm -hmm. And they never, they never quite transported me. And Lewis said, when we have those disappointments, either, well, you keep chasing after something else or you become a cynic or – if I find in myself an experience which cannot be satisfied in this world, mm. the most probable explanation is that I was meant for another world. Yeah. And that's what, what just took all of the pieces and put it together for me. Mm. And so, so that's why music was disappointing. And so I love the fact that now music's not disappointing. It's delightful. Mm. But I'm not looking to music to be my savior. Mm. Music is a wonderful gift, but it's a lousy God. Hmm. And that can be said about everything else That's right. Uh, that we all tend to put our hopes in, That's a right. relationship, a yes. marriage, a career, whatever, uh, uh, an experience. So th these are gifts. But if you worship them, well, Lewis said a whole lot about that in his essay, The Weight of Glory. They will break the hearts of their worshipers. Hmm. <laughs> That's outstanding, isn't it? Mm. It's so helpful because, not least, because I don't know if you had this trajectory. There was a season, I remember, when uh, the sin was always portrayed in terms of, of uh, drugs, alcohol and wicked crimes. Because a, a good person can avoid those things. Yeah. And, and you know, I uh, – well, I, I, I think I mentioned – I mean, I got drunk a bunch in high, in high school and in college – but it it never got to the part point where you know I was lying in the street or I blacked out or anything, and so I I I was never con I wasn't convicted of that as a sin until after I'd become a Christian. For me, it was more I'm chasing after these things and they're not satisfying. Well, no wonder they're not satisfying. They never were meant to. Amen. And then it was looking at Jesus and what He did on the cross and paying for sin mm. in the biggest sense. Yes. So I, I, I stopped getting drunk because it just seemed like, well, that doesn't make any sense anymore. Mm. The reason why drunkenness made sense to me is because I thought life was pointless and meaningless. Right, right. Well, once I knew the Lord and came to know the Lord, no, life is not pointless and meaningless. It's, it's meaningful. It's full. It's rich. It's abundant. It's, it's wonderful. Well, why would I want to waste my life on dulling mm. the reality of the world, which is what drunkenness yeah, is. Yeah, this is it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that, the, the, it's that statement he makes in that wonderful, I think Surprised by Joy must be one of my favorite works. Mm -hmm. he does because of the way he describes joy. Yes. It's this thing which just kind of just was always floating above. You could right. sense it's just there, nearly there. Can't, and occasionally you get the sense where you... You, you, you were overwhelmed by it, but you could never get hold of it. You could never get to it. Right. But he says, he says, well, what happened after I got converted? He says, what about that then? What about the joy? Yes. And he says, well, very end when you're book. driving through a, a forest, if, if you see a signpost, mm -hmm. he says, if, you, if, you, if you're lost, a signpost is a great moment. But yes. if you're on the road... You don't stop and stare. Yes. Or not for long. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's, I love that part. Yeah. In fact, as a matter of fact, that to the very end of Surprise by Joy, I, I have it printed out and framed and on the door of my office at the C.S. Lewis Institute. <laughs> that's right. Stopping to stare. Yes. We would be right. a Jerusalem. Because I know that's – I know the, the, the terminus of all these places. So when you're – so, okay. Now, how, how about this then? The having come into the church, it would seem that therefore 
the flourishing of purpose will be seen in worship. Now, worship, as we have understood it, has typically been to do with singing and music and mm -hmm. so on. Mm -hmm. But what you're talking about at the C.S. Lewis Institute, you're talking about a certain, uh, you're certainly talking about a certain discipleship. How do you talk about issues to do with, for example, worship mm -hmm. when you're talking about um, vocation work and other things? In one way, it's a very simple pivot, but then it opens up a vista that's just enormous. Like so, that. so the pivot is all of life can be worship. Everything can be worship and, in fact, should be worship. And singing is just a very beautiful, powerful expression of that. But work can be worship and, and, and everything. And every if, – if you start seeing it all under the sovereign hand of God, the creator and redeemer, mm. well, then, well, then everything can be worship and, and everything can be worshipful. Now, I, that, that's not to say that there isn't – a unique time every week to gather as God's people and sing and worship in hearing God's word and singing and and fellowship and all of that. So, um, so it, again, it's like, all right, I, I think worship is this kind of singing, and instead, it's oh, it's, it's everything. Hmm. I want to be careful though that I don't down downplay singing. I, 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 yeah. I mean, we're <laughs> commanded hundred over a hundred times to sing to the Lord, and singing yeah, yeah. is this magnificent experience. It it engages us in a total kind of way, intellectually, emotionally, physically. Our, yes. vo our vocal cords vibrate. So singing is yeah uh the uh, an exultant experience mm. but it also does mean it, it, if if all of life can be worshiped then that means that every little crazy thing i have to do for my job suddenly is 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 filled with eternal significance mm -hmm. and, and and purpose and intention and that is a, that's a precious thing to to consider so and, and lewis is so beautiful that i love the way he he talk, describes how he's, do you ever look at his letters much uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Not I haven't read all of them, like some people oh, there's, have. There's a lot of them. Aren't there? there are, and that was a sweet thing—the way he would keep in touch with people. Uh -huh. But he's, he talks about when he was, I was when I was ill. He's, he writes. I think he writes to Dorothy L. Sayers about one of those delicious illnesses. Where I was reading Jane Austen, and you think this sense he's in just finding pleasure mm -hmm. in, in things which are. And there's a sense of refreshment and, and he, he inspires you to see light where people might others have seen just dust. Right, right. Yeah. And and he, I don't think he talks about this a great deal, but it also liberates us from enjoying those things so much that they become the objects of our worship. Mm. In other words, yeah. he loved to eat food. You know, and and he loved to drink beer, and he loved to gather with his friends at the pub and laugh. But if you make those things the ultimate, well, he he has some really strong things to say about first and second things. Yes. And when you make second things like food and time with friends and laughter, whatever, when you make those things first, you you lose both the first and the second things. Yes. You lose the first thing because you lost God, and you've made something else a god, and it can't it can't fill that role. So you lose both the first and the second things. So and so for me, with with so music, it was a god, and it was terribly disappointing. And what, but but now I just love it. I think I'm repeating myself now. I can't remember what I've said on this yeah, interview yeah, or not. Yeah. You can enjoy it in proportion. You can enjoy it. In, yes, in perspective. That's yes, right. right. But, but that that very comment though is profound because that you could say the same thing for family, marriage, work, 
ambition, if you see it in perspective, the ultimate perspective is is unto unto the God who saves. So, um, so I, the next question I was going to ask was, who is is there somebody who has uh, been inspiring or a great help to you? But I don't know. It probably was Lewis, was it? Well, certainly Lewis. But when I think of who has influenced and contributed. I think first of this youth pastor who first quoted C.S. Lewis oh, and first wow. told me, who first clarified the gospel for me. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, he's he's not famous. You know, he's, he's he was a youth pastor many years ago. He's still in ministry. So he's the first person who pointed me in the right direction. And then, yes, Lewis, for sure. I think some of the, as I think about it, well, you mentioned Schaefer a little while ago. Francis mm. Schaefer's mm. writings were very helpful oh, for me. Yeah. And then uh, I had the privilege of studying with Don Carson, D.A. Carson, oh. at Trinity Seminary. Mm. And then I've I've listened to a whole lot of sermons of Tim Keller and read a bunch of his books. So those are the people who come to mind when people ask about, you know, f- who are spiritually formative for me. Mm. A, a, um, a youth pastor, as you say, probably forgotten. Was he the guy who gave you the mere Christianity the first time around? Well, he didn't give it to me. He told me I should read it, and that's when I went to the library. Okay. He did give me the 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 New Testament as a paperback. I did not want to read that thing. I I had been warned by my rabbi, the New Testament's an anti-Semitic book. This is a book that has been used to fuel the Nazis. So, mm-hmm. no, we don't read that book. It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. So isn't that miraculous that I brought it with me away to college? And that when the time was right, it was, okay, that's the book I want to read. And mm. and Matthew's gospel was so powerful for me because it was funny. This, this, um, this uh, It was the NIV when the NIV was a brand new tra- uh, translation. And on this paperback edition, it, it said, the great news. And I remember thinking, this is news and this is great. Hmm. It was so brand new to me. It hmm. was – Oh, Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. I mean, look at the things he says about himself, what he says about the world. So, yes, so that youth pastor. Hmm. And then I, I sometimes tell people about when this friend, uh, he he told me to go, you know, to read C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. Um, I had to go to the library because the alternative back then, 190 years ago, uh, was you would have to go to a bookstore. Isn't that a crazy thought, a bookstore? Um, you could find it on history.com or something. But you'd have to walk into a bookstore and say, excuse me, do you have mere Christianity? I wasn't going to do that. Yeah. No way. So I took it out from the library. Wow. So, Do you remember when you first met that youth leader? Or do you remember the relationship with him? Well, I don't remember the first meeting, but I, I don't even remember the first time I went to that youth group. I do remember early on one of our youth group activities was going to the beach. I grew up on Long Island, suburbs of New York. We were not far from the beach. And uh, he preached a sermon at the beach (laughs) that I can still remember, which was, it was a presentation of the gospel, which I rejected because I thought, well, this, you know, this is great. I hope for all the, I hope all these Gentile kids are listening to this guy, but I'm Jewish. We just don't do that Jesus stuff, you know. Wow. But I can still remember some of the things he Damn said in man. that message. Isn't that oh, something? That's wonderful. And that was a long time ago. I'd rather not talk about how many years ago that was, <laughs> how many decades ago that was. <laughs> but what a wonderful encouragement, though, for, mm-hmm. you know, the youth. What am I going to say to the kids this week? Well, something that they might remember for decades. 
Yeah. That's glorious. Eh? Yes. And you, you, seemed, and you were mentioning Keller and Carson. seems that you know Carson a little. Well, um, I, I, I was able to study with him when I was a student doing my master's at Trinity Seminary. And oh. the classes were small enough that we got to know people. Oh. Um, but then I, I took an independent study with him during that time. So I got to spend some one-on-one time with him. And then we've just kept in touch. I graduated from there 30 years ago. I started sending him my prayer letters that I sent out with uh, my ministry with Campus Crusade. We've just kept in touch. Lovely. And if I was back in Chicago, I would try to get together with him. Um, yeah, he was great. I In that very first class I took with him, he would say to us, here's your goal in ministry. You want to preach so that God's word sings and stings. Man. Let the word of God sing and sting. Wow. Um, Strong. So he, so he's always, he's just been very encouraging to me. And when I wrote Questioning Evangelism and the publisher said, do you know any you know influential people who could write a blurb for your book? I put him on the list, but I thought he's really busy. He's not going to take the time to do that. He wrote a really nice blurb and yeah. it was very encouraging to me mm. and and he has been ever since. And mm. then he wrote the the forward to this new book, Mere Evangelism. I, I I'm still uh, <laughs> uh, listen to me blubbering here. I, I mean <laughs> So he's he's been a great encouragement ah, to me over many years. That's wonderful. I think he recognizes because the, the thing is, he seems to have the, some of the same priorities, and I wonder if you just learned them together. But uh, his book on Paul's prayers, I think, is one of the greatest mm, mm. books because yes. you get this sense of the rigorous approach to the text, and what he's squeezing out of it is grace. Yeah, and it's yeah. He, he's squeezing out of it, and now let's pray. I think that's extraordinary. He must be one of the great New Testament scholars. Yes. One of the great New Testament scholars. His commentary is incredibly excellent. And right. That book of commentary, the book about the commentary is incredible. The work he does. But then the, 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 the therefore, the consequence of it always, now let's pray. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, he, he really is uh, amazing in that he has the brilliant mind to write commentaries, but he has a pastoral heart. And his his passion is to see the church thrive. Hmm. And so part of that is evangelism and part of that is discipleship and part of that is is training people to pray. Hmm. He was working on that book when, when I was doing my master's there. Hmm. And I remember him giving a chapel message on lessons we learn from the prayers of Paul and how we can pray that way. Wow. And that just that marked me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it changes the way you pray. It yes. changes the way you read those passages yeah. in Scripture. Yeah. So yeah, he, he's um, right. A great deal of depth, but also a great deal of of concern for the well being of the church. Oh yeah. So that's it. This is it, and that's precious stuff. Mm-hmm. That's that's gold. And this, I like the sing and sting thing because mm-hmm. I, I, I run the Twitter feeds for a bunch of preachers. You see, so I'm always reading, you know, Edwards and Whitfield and some of these great preachers. What's one thing that strikes me lately? I'm noticing is how a great mind, like an Edwards, how frequently he will go for the sting, and by that I don't mean uh, he's just rude, <laughs> but he wants he will he will make an application. If these things are true, therefore, right. And right. then, and then see, so he'll, now we got to do this, you see, let's go. Right. I remember having a conversation with someone around our table a few years ago at home. And I was saying, of course, the importance of preaching. And this woman was saying, no, preaching is not important. As we talked, 
it became clearer. Oh, she's never heard preaching. Hmm. She had never heard someone get up and preach with authority. I yeah. think she was sitting in a kind of liberal thing where someone was essentially just sharing their thoughts from the week right. and preaching the world's priorities. But when you hear the great preachers, they've had that sing and that sting, which has had, there's a therefore, come now, let's go, let's reason, let's run. Right. You see that in Whitfield and you see that in, uh, in the great preachers. Right. Well, just I, I, so I mentioned Tim Keller also has been influential. And so Keller's tagline, can I call it that? Or, I mean, when, whenever sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, writing about it, he has that phrase that he says that the gospel tells us we're more wicked and yeah. sinful than we ever dared believe. But at the same time, we're more loved than we ever dared hope. Oh, yeah. And so that's the sing and the sting in reverse order. Mm. But we're we're more wicked yes. and sinful than yes. you talk about stinging. Yeah. Wow, wow, that's really bad. It is bad. It's horribly bad. Mm. It it's so bad. Jesus had to die for us. Wow. If it's not that bad, you don't need a cross. You you just need an app that tells you how to remember to live and do the things you're supposed to do. Right. But if you're really wicked, isn't that isn't that something with, uh, that part where Jesus said, uh, he said, if you, being evil, <laughs> yeah. know how to give your children good gifts. It's yeah. like, being evil? Yeah. I, I, I think he just smacked me. But yeah, he was trying to. Like, so, but you have to get to that point where it's that bad that I need a savior. Yes. I don't just need... A podcast. That's not it. to say anything bad about podcasts. <laughs> They're very important and good. This is it. We were actually having this very conversation yesterday after the sermon. We do a little Q&A, which I found to be quite helpful, actually. But um, we were having this conversation, and the issue we were talking about was, frankly, there is a warmth in self-pity. There is a warmth in self-pity. And mm. the question was, mm. how do you get to someone who acknowledges that and show them Jesus. And we had to, the way we did it was we had to talk in terms of, you know what, things are bad. They really are bad, actually. And I'm not going to pretend they're not. I'm not going to say, you know, everything's bad for you, but God loves you. I'm going to tell you, no, the things are bad. In fact, they're considerably worse. And then you have to take them to a place where, as you say, you actually need someone to get you out of this. You need a savior. Mm -hmm. So that's, yes, that's awesome. Awesome. Okay. So what's new with you now, President? What's uh, new? Yes. New with a new man. Well, I did finish this book, Mere Evangelism, and I'm speaking at this conference uh, tomorrow about it, which was insights we get from C.S. Lewis uh, about evangelism. And a big deal about that is the need for or the necessity for pre-evangelism, conversations that move gradually from wherever the person is to the point where they see some of the things that they believe that actually line up with the gospel. Mm. So how Lewis began mere Christianity was, well, we've all heard people quarreling, and so that we all have a sense of right and wrong. Okay, well, so that's we agree. Now, where does that come from? And then how well do we live up to that standard of right and wrong? Well, there – so that's pre-evangelistic conversation. So the newest thing for me, if I can – is I'm trying to write a pre-evangelistic book. I want to tell a whole lot of people's stories about how they came to faith and then draw some conclusions. What can we learn about faith and particularly the Christian faith 
after we hear these stories. And I'm sharing some stories of people who become Christians, but I'm also telling stories about people who don't become Christians or walk away from it or or pursue other things because some of these some both stories can teach us a whole lot about the saving faith. So, um yes. what did what did what, uh, my publisher came up with they wanted to play off of the title Questioning Evangelism, my first book, and they're calling this Questioning Faith. And so we're hoping to hear people's stories that I, – I hope it's the kind of book we could give out to non-Christian friends and say, I think you'd like these stories, and I think they might challenge your thinking about the nature of faith. And mm. then ultimately, who was Jesus? I mm. mean, he's mm. he's woven into all of the Christian stories, obviously. Right. So right. that's what's new with me. I'm trying to write a book, mm. which is a difficult process. No. <laughs> The irony is you do all these books, but you clearly are more most interested in people. It's interesting. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> that's, um, that's probably why Don likes you. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll go with that. I, I won't. Uh... Well, it's funny when you say that, two thoughts come to my mind. One is that flows out of the gospel. Yes. Right. God rescued me. Yes. I want to tell people about Amen. this. Amen. Hallelujah. But, but, here's the, but here's the flip side of that. I don't think naturally I'm drawn to people personality-wise. I'd kind of rather be alone and reading books. I like being around people, but then I need time alone to recover. <laughs> I hope that doesn't sound bad. I, 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 don't, I don't think this is the, the, really the, the, the definitive definition of an introvert, but, the, but I think it's true. Introverts get their energy from not being with people. I okay. think that's me. But I but I but I, at the same time I I, I do find people fascinating and yeah, I find yeah. them I, people are so unique. Yeah. And when I get to know people well who don't know the Lord, it's tragic, it's painful. I have this one friend that I've been conversing with, I guess we could say for 25 years. He's an atheist. I don't get the idea that anything I've said has budged him at all. Mm. And he's close to 80 years old. I mm. mean, he's 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 not going to live much longer, and and it's painful. Mm. And I I like getting together with him. I want to joke around with him. I love talking really deep philosophical ideas. But sometimes I just want to shake him mm. and go, "Come on, you got to mm. get this." Mm. So so it's the it's the two sided coin there yeah. of compassion, but yeah, people are difficult. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, and last question, I'd like to ask you, what advice would you give to people listening to this, as broad as you like? What advice do I give people? <laughs> wow, that, that's fun. Um, Eat your greens. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, would, uh, I, would, uh, I think there's some really great things about asking a lot of questions. Yeah. I really want to encourage people to ask questions and, and listen. Never think you've already arrived at being a good listener. We all, we all need wow. to grow in this area. So ask a lot of questions and listen. Listen to God and, and ask him to show you what's going on in the people around you. Mm. It, it's a great way of, of loving people, I mm. think, because mm. you're saying to them, I want to hear from you. I want to hear more. Yes. Oh, tell me more about that. Yeah. Oh, what makes you say that? How did you come to that? Uh, gee, I, I wonder what, what do you think about this idea that I have? And I just think that, that that art of becoming a really good questioner and a good listener, they go together, mm. is something I would want to encourage people to. Wonderful. I, I heard, you know, who Jerry Springer is. 
<laughs> wow. I, 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 yes, I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. But uh... he, I heard him interviewed and he said, I, it has become clear to me that I have had people on my TV show who I have asked them, what is your opinion? And I have been the first person to ask them, what was their opinion? Uh-huh. I thought that was very powerful because you kind of assume everyone's asking. You realize no one ever cared about this person enough to ask them a question. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I thought that was awesome. And you realize sometimes if you're the person, what do you think about what do you, what did you see in that? Why do you like that? Yeah. You actually no one possibly is doing that. And that's as you're saying, that's loving. Yeah. And it's not that hard. Another simple thing, and I'm sure you've come across this, is uh, asking open questions. Words questions beginning with how, why, when, where, who. They are that's conversation. If you ask yes. a question, um, do you think this? The answer is either yes or no. Yeah, that's right. You, that's right. You're not you're not using questions to back people into a corner. Right. It's yes. You're you're asking questions to get to know them better, to yeah. love them, yeah. and to to use that process to point them to the savior. Yes. So so I'm not saying that oh we just want to hear from everybody. Well, I know we have a message to proclaim. Um, yes. But but uh, here, this is the best place, I think, for us to land. Look at the way Jesus interacted with people. He asked them questions. He answered questions with questions. He, he engaged them in conversations that ultimately pointed to him, but they started all over the place. Yeah. I, I, the, 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 the most, well, I don't know what's the most, but I mean, his interaction with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Give me a drink. Oh, why are you asking me to drink? Well, if you knew who was asking you. And and he talks to her about water, and he talks to her about thirst, and he talks to her about her five husbands. And uh, But it was this dialogue back and forth that moved this woman from, why are you talking to me, to, I think I just met the Messiah. <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah, that's wonderful. Hey, that's a wonderful way to end. Well, why don't we? It's been having. <laughs> he said asking a question. There you go. It was fantastic. Thank you so much for this time, Randy. And thanks Thank again for bringing this priority to people's attention. I'm convinced that it is priceless. So may it land and may it produce a lot of fruit. Amen. Amen. For more episodes of the Christian Heritage London podcast and for information on Christian Heritage London events, tours and walks, please go to christianheritagelondon.org. 